All right. Good morning. I have a note here uh, for me to remind you again about the dinner, okay? I'm serious. Please make sure that you come to this dinner that we're, we're hosting for the R gang, okay? Some people walked in a little bit later. For the 50 and ups, we're hosting a dinner for the R gang people, February 6th, okay? Five o'clock, please make sure you come. I'm going to say it over and over again. No, I'm just kidding. This is the last time. Um, but I want to make sure we have a good turnout because I'm excited for it, and it's a great way for the youth group to serve so many people in the church at one time. So mark your calendars, February 6th. That's my last time. We'll say it today. Okay. Um, today we are going to be starting a five-week series, okay, a five-week series based around the vision for our church. And I want to be clear that this is not my vision, this is not just Pat's vision, this isn't just Euless's vision, whoever you, insert name here, it's the leadership's vision for what we want our church to be about, okay, what we want to move forward going saying, this is what we say is important and we want to focus our attention on, okay, so for five weeks we're going to be doing that. And the very overall theme for our mission and our vision and what we want to do and what we want to accomplish comes from the source of glorifying God, which I think that's a pretty good thing to do, right? Glorifying God. Okay, we can't, we can't complain about that. That's a good thing to do. And today we're going to be looking at that and more specific consolation. We're going to get to the definition of that later. But before we get to the definition of that, what does glorify even mean? Okay, is that another churchy word we kind of just throw around that we all assume that we know? Sometimes we do that. I don't want to do that anymore. So we're going to look at glorify. And this is kind of what I came up with, okay? Let's read it together. To ascribe dignity, honor, praise, and worship to a deity. And we're saying that in the context of worship, that's what we're doing for God, right? And sometimes we'll say that we glorify people. Like, you know, we're, Tom Brady's in the news right now, right? Well, cause he, Is he going to retire? I don't know. Right? We glorify him as an athlete. We don't ascribe to him and worship him as a deity. Some people might. I don't know. Um, but when we're talking about glorifying, we want to take it from that small scale, maybe what we use in a normal conversation, and take it much greater, okay? To ascribe dignity, honor, praise, and worship to a deity. And as I thought about that, as I, as I kind of wrote that down this week, when I think of this word glorify, the first thing that comes to mind is church. Right? This morning, we're worshiping God. Emery is leading us in some songs, and, and we're worshiping, we're praying, we're taking communion. Yes, we're glorifying God. But as I thought about that, shouldn't we try to glorify God outside of church too? Yeah, right? That, that's an obvious answer. Yes, the answer is yes. But my first initial thought when I think about glorifying God is what happens within these walls. But that can't be it, right? That can't be where our glorification of God ends, and begins, right? We can't just walk in the doors and say, I got my glorification lenses on, and when I walk out of these doors, I take them off, put them in the case, and wait for next Sunday. If we, as the Melbourne Church, want this to be what we are doing, our overall aim is to glorify God, we have to do it outside of these walls. We have to do it every single day in every single way we, can, every single way we possibly can. But how? How do we do this? And, and as I thought about this, a bigger question kind of came in my mind is Why? That might sound weird coming from a preacher. Why do we glorify God? Because in my mind, God is so good. Why does he need glorification from a broken person like me? Do you ever think about that? Maybe I'm the only one. Okay. Uh, but I think about it. Why does God need glorification 
from me? If I'm, if I'm sinful and I need God, why does God need glorification from me? And that's the wrong question. I think what we need to see it as our glory to God, our glorification of God is not something that he needs, but it's a reaction on our part, right? When we think about Philippians, when it talks about every knee will bow one day to God, the glorification is a reaction. I'm going to read this from First, uh, First Chronicles 16. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Very important, okay? It's not a need. It's something that is our reaction to his name, to his glory. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord, re- excuse me, the Lord reigns. Do you see the reaction part of this? This isn't something that we are just giving to God like he needs it, like a needy person. Don't see God that way. Our response to God's greatness is to glorify God, is to bring an offering, excuse me, to ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name, to bring an offering and come before him. And as we read this within the context of the Old Testament, you're talking about physical offerings, whether it be a goat or a ram or a dove, whatever it might be. But in our New Testament context, I think about Paul, right, in Romans chapter 12. When he says, off your bodies as a living sacrifice. So if we read this entire thing right here, 1 Chronicles, and we read specifically to bring an offering, it means that we with our lives are bringing an offering to God because of his glory. Are you with me this morning? I actually need your energy this morning. I'm tired. Okay. I was at Universal with the, teenage, the, teen, the, the youth group last night really late. Okay. So I need you to help me this morning. Okay. Our offering is our lives in response to God's glory. He's not the needy child that just needs to be, you know, given treats to be calmed down. This is our response to a mighty God that this is just what we do. And we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice in response, in reaction to his glory. So as we have this in our minds, what glorification means... I want to also recognize that life is complicated, right? Life is very complicated. It's complex, and we go through different seasons in our lives. We'll go through a season of good times and maybe a season of not-so-good times, but this morning, I want to focus on the word consolation, okay? And maybe you, you hear this word, and the very first thing that comes to your mind is a consolation prize. Anybody think that, right? You know, you got the t-ball team that didn't win it all, and they get a, they get a trophy anyway, that's a consolation prize. They didn't win anything. They just get the trophy. But we're not using it that way this morning. Uh, there's this spiritual, this spiritual discipline that I've actually been doing with the teenagers about taking things that are going well in your life and taking things that are going not so well in your life and seeing where God's going on in the middle of all that, okay? It's called consolation, where God is, and desolation, where you don't necessarily see God. So let's read this definition together, okay? Consolation is where you are able to see God working in your life. Let's read it together again a little bit louder. Consolation is where you are able to see God working in your life. And when you go through periods of consolation, it's good, right? When you you might see things going the right way where you're able to readily see God working in your life. When I was working with the teens, we talked about it being life-giving, 
What is giving you life? And it could be big things. Maybe you had a, had a relationship that was broken and you were able to reconcile with that person. You're like, man, God showed up and I never in a million years thought I would reconcile with that person, but God showed up and that is a consolation. I can see God working in my life. It could be a small thing. Maybe you just had a good conversation with a friend. I had a friend visit me this week and it was like a breath of, it was like God was just in there giving me peace because I never get to have that kind of like close conversation in person. That's consolation. Maybe you think for 10 seconds really quick where this has happened for you this past week. It can be big, it can be small, but it's just a period of consolation where you see God showing up in your life. This week, I want to see how we should be glorifying God in seasons of consolation. Are you with me? In seasons where God is obviously working your life, where you can point and say, yes, God has been there. How do we glorify God in those times? And you might be thinking, Jimmy, that's super easy because when things are going well, I can obviously glorify God. Oftentimes, that's the time I have the most difficulty, right? Because things are just going well. Why should I stop and thank God when things are going so well? Because I'm so awesome. I'm, being, I'm speaking kind of sarcastically there. I, don't, I, hope, I hope you don't think I, I would think that of myself. But I'm guilty of this, right? When things are going well, I rarely stop and just, you know, thank God for them as much as I should, right? Has anybody ever, ever experienced that in their life? Have you been there? I think we should all be nodding our heads because if you read the entire Old Testament, this is the entire story of Israel, okay? God shows up for Israel. Israel's super excited about God. And then what do they do? They turn their back on God all the time. Just think, just a really brief story. Think about when Israel's wandering in the desert and they're starving. They have no food. And God's like, guess what? I'm going to give you food and it's going to come from the sky. All you have to do is pick up just enough for you to eat. Awesome. Food from the sky. But then what does Israel do? They get really tired of that food that's coming from the sky and they want something different, right? God is literally supplying their every need, but yet they're still like, maybe God, could you give me something a little bit maybe more tasty? Right? It's, it's the same thing, right? They're going through a period where God is providing for them, but they just turn their backs on God. It's easy for us all to do. And I'm not making fun of Israel because I guarantee I would be the guy out there complaining about manna. I for sure would be that guy. I love to switch up my food. I love to cook. I love different flavors. And I would get sick and tired of manna. Um, maybe, maybe you would be content. Um, but I would be that guy. And that's the entire story of Israel. God shows up, they turn their back. God shows up, they turn their back. And that's what we're talking about this morning. So the big question, I know we've asked a lot of questions. We've had a lot of def- definitions this morning. But the question kind of really lands in how do we glorify God in periods of consolation. How do we go about doing this? And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to go through basically the entire first half of Daniel this morning, so stay with me. <clears throat> but Daniel, to me, um, is a great example of how we glorify God in times of consolation. So if you're familiar, familiar at all, the Israelites have been taken into Babylonian captivity And they've been removed from their culture. They've been trying to be assimilated into a different culture. And things are not going well. So let's read what's going on here in Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. 
Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, king of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defects, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. As a kid hearing this, I was like, why is Daniel upset about this? You know, he gets to go and he gets to have all the food that he wants. He gets to go hang out in the king's palace, and he gets to have a pretty good life. But if you look closely at what Nebuchadnezzar is doing, he's trying to rob the, the, the Israelites of all of their culture. Okay, look at what it says right here. He wants to teach them their language and the literature. He assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table so that they could enter the king's service. The very first thing that a conquering army wants to do is to make you forget about your culture. They want to teach you exactly what they want you to know and forget everything you knew before. And also, they took away their food. That's a problem. And I'm not just joking here because so much of culture is tied up in food. I've, I, I watched a little uh, show about the Gullah people and they were in slavery and the, the, they, the, the first thing that they wanted to do was take away their food and give them the food that the, that the, the owners were wanting them to eat. But the Gullah people, they were able to continue to make their food and through that carry their culture through generations. That's awesome. Their culture is literally today being spoken by their food. And that is something that Nebuchadnezzar made, wanted to make sure that was not going to continue for the Israelites. Not only was it a cultural thing, but it was also a faith-based thing, right? They weren't probably supposed to eat some of the food that Nebuchadnezzar was giving them, but that was his first attempt to say, get rid of your culture, get rid of your God, I'm your new God, forget about what you know. The brainwash begins. But the problem is that Daniel and his friends were not going to be brainwashed so easily, right? They're faithful people. And the, and the funny thing about this is if you read, continue reading in, in chapter 1 here in verse 17, uh, excuse me, in verse uh, 3 through 5, they say they're going to be trained and they're going to learn everything about the Babylonian culture. And in verse 17, this is what it says. To those four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So Nebuchadnezzar, he kind of you know, dug his own grave here a little bit. He picked these guys out so that they could learn the literature of the Babylonians. But guess who gave them the understanding and wisdom? Not Nebuchadnezzar, right? God did. God gave them understanding, and that's going to be a big problem for Nebuchadnezzar. And people notice, okay, continuing on here in verse 19. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And we're going to see a common theme throughout the first half of Daniel, okay? The story is going to continue. Uh, I don't have this on the screen, so just follow with me very quickly. Uh, If you read through uh, chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar is having these dreams, and he wants them to be interpreted. And Nebuchadnezzar gets really upset because nobody can really give him what he wants. And so he's going to kill all the wise men and all the people and all the satraps and all these people who can't give Nebuchadnezzar what he wants. And then Daniel steps up and guess what? He prays to God and he says this in verse 24. Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. 
So Daniel steps up in that moment and says, I'm going to do something to save these people who probably want nothing to do with me, and I'm going to glorify God in the process. Because he prayed to God to understand the dream, understand the vision, so that he could communicate clearly to Nebuchadnezzar what's going on. He gives insight to Nebuchadnezzar. It is not a good prophecy, okay? But guess what Nebuchadnezzar does? He promotes Daniel. He doesn't try to kill him or his friends. He actually doesn't even kill any of the other wise men. He hears the prophecy, and he promotes Daniel. Continuing on, Nebuchadnezzar, he has this statue. If you're familiar with VeggieTales, this is a great VeggieTale, okay? He, wants this, he has this statue, and he wants everybody to bow down and worship the statue in his name. But that was a problem for Daniel and his friends, okay? Nebuchadnezzar gets so mad, and he says, you know what? If you don't bow down and worship the statue, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. You might have known this story before in your life, okay? And so these guys say, guess what, Nebuchadnezzar? I'm not going to do this. Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, fine. I'm going to throw you into this furnace. And in that moment, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, you know what? If God doesn't show up, that's okay, because I'm never going to bow down before you. But guess what? God shows up, right? They throw him in the furnace. They come back out. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, this is awesome. Your God is amazing. Your God is the God of gods. And guess what happens to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They get promoted. Great day for them. Okay, not so great. But they got promoted, so that's good. One more time, or excuse me, another time, Nebuchadnezzar's son asked Daniel to interpret another dream. Nobody can do it. Nobody can do it. He finally brings in Daniel. Daniel interprets the dream. Guess what happens to Daniel. He gets a promotion. Do you see where I'm going here? Daniel keeps getting promotions. One more time, there's this new king, Darius, and Darius has this decree that says, you have to worship me. You can't worship any other god. What did I say? Did I say, did I say Darius? Okay. <laughs> I thought, I, thought I, I might have said a different name there. Yeah, this new king, Darius, and they're like, hey, Daniel's praying to somebody else. You have to throw him into a lion's den. So Darius is upset, and he throws him into the lion's den. But guess what happens to, to, to Daniel? Nothing. After he gets out of the lion's den, guess what happens to Daniel? He gets promoted. This is a great line of work for Daniel. You know, speaking on God's behalf. Not saying that it was easy. Okay, don't hear me saying that this life was easy, right? All these people are trying to go after Daniel and his friends. But every single time he faces a difficult situation, he gets through it. God gets him through it. And he gets a promotion by the very same people who wanted to kill him. That seems like an easier life of a prophet than some people we read in the Old Testament, right? Some prophets go through it. Daniel gets promoted and gets promoted and gets promoted. He experienced a lot of consolation, right? Remember what we talked about consolation? To give you guys the definition one more time. Consolation is where you're able to see God working in your life. Daniel could probably point to several different uh, things where he says, you know what, God showed up for me. He's going through some serious consolation here, okay? But the thing about Daniel is that he never forgot about God's blessings, I know that was a lot. I gave you a lot there from Daniel, uh, the first uh, half of Daniel. But Daniel could have easily forgotten what God was up to, right? He's going through experience, blessing, blessing, blessing. He could have easily forgotten. He could have looked around him at the Babylonians and said, you know what? I'm, I have a pretty high position here. I'm just going to ride it out with these guys and see what happens. Would any of you fall, you know, maybe have that temptation in your life? Don't raise your hand. But I think I might. If you look around and say, these guys are, you know, treating me pretty well. They're giving me the nicest things. They keep promoting me. 
I keep getting a raise every single time I stand up for God. I think I'm just going to hang out with these guys for a little bit. But Daniel doesn't do that. Because Daniel never forgot this. Um, I didn't have the slide here. But Daniel never forgot what he said in Daniel chapter 1, verse 17. To these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Daniel never forgot where he received his wisdom or his ability to interpret dreams and so forth. Daniel never forgot God's action in his life. And I'm speaking for myself here. During periods of consolation, it is easy for me to forget what God has done for me. So the question still remains. How do we glorify God in times of consolation? The very first thing I think we need to really key into is this, this section that I just read from Daniel 1.17, that God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning to Daniel. And in our lives, we need to recognize and trust God's understanding with what we're going through. There might be times where you're not sure what's next. You might be going through a period of good, a good period of time. But you have to understand that God has been in, involved the entire way. And this is easier said than done. And I can see Daniel asking himself the question over and over again, you know, why am I here now, God? What, what's my next obstacle that I'm going to overcome to show your glory, to show your name to these people? What are you going to have me do next? And that is a very hard thing to say. Because I like to know what's coming next. I like to, to plan ahead. I like to understand what obstacle I might. But I think this question of why am I here now is the exact question we need to be asking God. God, how can you use me right now today? Whether times are good or whether times are bad, how can you use me today? Daniel never fell asleep, and we can't either. He, he never fell asleep to what God was actively doing in his life, and we don't have that luxury. We cannot fall asleep, because if we do fall asleep, we're going to look around the world and see, hey, things are pretty good. We can forget about God for a little bit. You know what? I, I've achieved a lot in my work. I've achieved a lot of my dreams, and I can just, you know what? I'm here right now. I'm just going to coast for a little bit, and we're going to be good. Daniel never did that. When he was at his highest highs, he still said, you know what? God gave me all this wisdom. God gave me all this understanding. Yeah, sure, the Babylonians, they promoted me, but God's the one who got me here. We have to do the exact same thing. Trust God's understanding in whatever situation we're in. And the second, this is, might be the most important thing Daniel's example is for me, is to bring other people alongside you. When you're experiencing blessing... It's not just about you. It's about other people too. That's what I love about Daniel is that he's empowering his friends to make similar decisions. Right? I, I don't know what Shadrach, I don't know exactly what Daniel's leadership with style was like, okay? But I do know that he brought his friends along and he empowered them to be aware of God's blessings in their life. And this, this, this requires very intentional behavior, okay? Because sometimes when we go through periods of consolation, when things are good, it's easy to isolate ourselves. We don't want to share our blessings with other people. And for so long in our country, that's how systemic racism was perpetuated, wasn't it? Was that one group of people said that in order for me to go further in this world, I need to put another group of people down. That's not how the kingdom works, that's not how the church needs to work. If we are being blessed, we need to look around and say, how can I bless the disenfranchised? How can I bless people who are not going through a period of consolation? And how can I bring them alongside of me to do God's work together? 
That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did here, and that's what Daniel does for everybody that he seems to influence. Share God's blessings with whoever, even if it happens to be Babylonians. All right, that's a whole other, like, who are the Babylonians in your life? You know, that's a whole other, like, idea there. But I think it's really about looking around you and saying, who are the disenfranchised? Who are the ones who are left out? The kingdom of God is not about leaving people out, especially this. I love this, this verse here, this, excuse me, these couple of verses. This is from the message. I just love how this is phrased. Because we could probably say yes. Are you tired? Yes. Are you worn out? Yes. Are you burned out on religion? Unfortunately, yes, sometimes I can be. But this is what Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. I love that. That's what Daniel did, right? Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. That, I believe, is the call of the church. The individual doesn't matter. It does matter, but collectively, when we are working together as the church, we can do so much good in this world, especially when we're going through periods of consolation. If you're seeing God actively working in your life, tell somebody about it. I dare you to. And I think God can do crazy things in those little conversations where you're sharing your blessings and helping to bless other people. Let's pray. God, our aim is to glorify you, and uh, unfortunately, we are broken people. Like I said, it is kind of crazy to think that we are you know, glorifying you, but you're so perfect, and, and we're just not. But God, we recognize that it's our reaction to your glory that we want to glorify you. It's not a, it's not a jealous need where, where you're a needy child, but it is just our response to your power and your, and your grace and, and your peace and everything, other, other attribute I could say, God, it's our reaction to glorify you. God, specifically this morning, we look at how to glorify you when things are going well. Help us to not fall asleep. Help us to always be ready to ask that question, God, what do you want from me right now? Help us to be like Daniel. Help us to recognize that you are there every step of the way. And help us to lift up those around us who are disenfranchised. Help us to share our blessings with the world so that we can make this kingdom come to earth in a radical way that we never thought possible. But we do it in your name, God. We do it in Jesus' name and through Jesus' power. And since then we pray, amen. If you have any needs, we'd like to invite you uh, to come forward this time. If you have a blessing you want to share, share it. That's a perfect time to do it. If you have any needs at all, please come while we stand and sing.